We're talking about um, all this month, and today's actually the last sermon in a whole series of sermons. Uh, if you've missed any of them, we put all of this on uh, iTunes. You can subscribe to the uh, Grove podcast with the, whatever listener you use. Uh, but uh, we also have, uh, you can listen to the whole service or just the sermon parts on albanygrove.com as well each week. But uh, this is the last Sunday in a series we're doing this, talking about the interaction of your faith and your work or your um, Monday to Friday life, and that this is more than just a Sunday morning thing that we believe about Jesus. And we've been talking about that in the story of Daniel. Daniel is a guy who lived um, hundreds and hundreds of years even before Jesus was born, uh, and he lived in a city of Jerusalem, and the Babylonian army came and laid siege to Jerusalem, overtook it, and took all of its riches, and took all of its uh, like up-and-coming... Um, young stars in their system of religious and, uh, religion and politics and learning and brought them to Babylon. And they put them into their system, thinking if they thrived over there, they will thrive over here and it will be a great way for them to move forward. Uh, it'll be a great way for Babylon to grow. And Daniel, and he had these three friends in the story that pop up, and uh, we're just going to talk about chapter 6 today, but Daniel and his friends go through different things and Daniel becomes... Uh, amazing at the Babylonian system of politics and religion. They're, they had a polytheistic view, which means they had lots of gods, the god of this and the god of that. They had some main gods, a god named Bel, and Daniel did so well that the king gave him a Babylonian name that was Bel Teshazzar, uh, named him after his god uh, because he was so impressive to him in the system that they had. If you were here last week uh, through the heat wave that we had, uh, by the, bro the furnace broke in the school and we got to enjoy the benefits of that. And, uh, but the uh, Babylonian king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, passed away and he there was an, a second king that came behind him that didn't remember Daniel. And when Daniel came in to give him some prophecy and interpret a vision that he had, uh, Daniel's prophecy was actually that tonight your reign ends. And then it actually came true. And the Medo-Persian army came in and took over the Babylonians. And you can imagine how awkward it is to be a Jewish person living in Jerusalem and you've been exiled to another place and then that other place has been taken over by someone else. And you wonder what's going to happen from here. If you, if you can imagine your country is taken over by another place and you were found to be one of the rising stars and so you were brought to somewhere else and put there and then another power came and took that one over. Just the the political consequences and just for your own real life uh, can get really confusing. And you can begin to wonder and ask the question naturally, where is God in all of this? Like, what is God doing? Uh, if your homeland was taken over by another country that was more powerful and you lived, and especially back in the time of Daniel, it's less so now, but it's still true today, uh, you believe that your God favors your country in some way, but your God has been defeated by some other country that serves some other God, and then there's another God that defeated that, which means by proxy those ones could defeat you. Uh, it, it can get kind of complicated in your faith as well. And you wonder what is, like, what's going on? Like, what is my God even powerful or is my God even benevolent towards me? Does he actually care about my life actually going well because things are going kind of junky? 
And if you just take out all the politics from that and take out all of the big picture things and can just think about your own life, a lot of times we serve God and we're faithful to God and there's times in our life or seasons in our life where things don't seem to be going very well. And some of us are there. Some of us, it was in the recent past, and if you're not in one of those two groups, it's in the recent future. Recent is the wrong word. Near future. <laughs> but it, when you go through the struggles that you have in life, even if it's not your fault, like sometimes I've had struggles in my life that are 100% my, my fault, my failing, but sometimes it's, it's not on you. There are factors outside of yourself that have brought that upon you, and you wonder, uh, where is God? And does he even favor me? And is he even paying attention to me? And your prayers feel like you're just speaking them to the roof or to the ceiling. And you're like, well, that's, it's not going anywhere or nobody's paying attention to what I say. Um, this last chapter of Daniel, uh, kind of all of the hardships that Daniel has gone through kind of come to a head here. And things get uh, really violent really fast. And so I'm going to talk through the story, and then there's a couple observations and a couple steps that I think we can take to actually live out our faith in the real world. Uh, there is, like, the video's funny because uh, it looks ridiculous. Uh, it would look equally ridiculous if it was in first grade, second grade, third grade. Uh, our faith system, at least in the Western world, uh, a lot of us have this kind of view of, I'm in and that's all I need. And to what it means to really follow Jesus isn't to be on one side of the line or the other side of the line. It actually means to engage in a journey where you're moving forward. Uh, just like education. Education means you're actually moving forward. And if you're astute, you know that your education never really ends. You don't get to the end of 12th grade or the end of college or even the end of your doctoral program and say, I never need to learn another thing ever. Uh, you just continually are learning things and continually growing. And the same thing should be true of our faith. Uh, and this is how I think we should get there. This is Daniel 6. If you were uh, like a valedictorian of your Sunday school class, first, you went to an awesome church that had valedictorians. Uh, second, and I mean awesome in the most sarcastic way, because I, I would actually love to go to whatever the ceremony it was where you got a prize for that. Uh, but also, this is Daniel in the lion's den, uh, which a lot of us, if you were a Sunday school all-star, you know it, right? Like, at the end of the story, Daniel goes in the lion's den, and spoiler alert, he doesn't die, right? Uh, it's only the middle of the book of Daniel. There's a bunch more chapters. If he died, it'd be the last story, and it would not be such an uplifting video before my sermon, all right? <laughs> and then the lions ate him. <laughs> Let me uh, read this to you. Daniel lives. Uh, the thing that you don't know is a whole bunch of other people die. And I, honest to goodness, like I have degrees in understanding the Bible. I didn't know this stuff, and it's fantastic in the most morbid way possible. But here we go. The Medo-Persians take over, and a guy named Darius is in charge. And of the Medo-Persian army, Darius the Mede. And it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, which is some kind of governorship, to rule throughout the kingdom. And three administrators ruled over them, uh, one of whom was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Uh, now Daniel uh, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They found no corruption in him. Other Bibles say they found him to be blameless because he was trustworthy and not corrupt and not negligent. And so these men, these other groups of men led by the other two like prime ministers that were under the king uh, Darius the Mede decide that they're going to get together and create some kind of a story to undercut Daniel. And so they go to Darius the Mede and they know the one thing about Daniel is that he has some kind of a different faith. He prays to a god that lives somewhere else. And so they go to uh, Darius the Mede and they say to him, and the key part of the sentence was the lie to him. They say, all of us have gotten together, all the leaders, and all of us have decided that because you're so great, we should pray to no one but you. Now, if someone comes to you and you say that and you live in a pluralistic system, this is, I mean, this sounds like a great idea. Darius the Mede is like, you're all going to praise me, you're all going to worship me. All right, let's make that a law. Now, the thing is that there's the satraps and the prime ministers who are over the satraps. Prime minister is the word I'm using. Uh, it's like a Canadian word for leader. Uh, when you, uh, they all together remind Darius the king that according to Medo-Persian law, this isn't necessarily Babylonian law, but according to Medo-Persian law, once the king writes down a law, there's no exceptions and it can't be reversed. You can't back out of it. And so they create this law where anyone who prays to any god that's put above Darius the Mede, they will be thrown into a lion's den. Now, there's two parts of this that are awesome. One, the, the trickery. Two, the king keeps a lion's den handy. <laughs> and I know sometimes, depending on who's the president, you're frustrated. But there are worse examples in the world. <laughs> and that should give us some comfort. When we see a tweet about a new lion's den at the White House, mm, that's a turn too far. <laughs> but uh, Darius the Mede has a den of lions that he keeps handy. He proclaims this. They let everybody know about it. Daniel doesn't say anything. He sees the news. And three or four times a day, multiple times a day, he goes back to his house, and there's a window in his house that faces towards Jerusalem. And he kneels down in front of that window, and he prays for the city that he's from. He prays for his people, many of his people who are still there. He prays for himself to return there. He prays for the God of the people of Jerusalem to actually free him from this situation that he's in and to free all the exiles that they would be able to return to the place that they love and the place that they belong. And because he prays in front of the window, the people who are actively stabbing him in the back see him. Even though it's in the privacy of his own house and probably on a second-story window so that he can see over the houses so that he can see in that direction or he's on a hill or something, somehow they're able to see him. And they go to Darius, and they say, listen, we love Daniel too, but you just can't have this. I know you love Daniel, we love Daniel, but we can't have somebody breaking the laws. That's just not okay. 
Darius the Mede is actually extremely upset by this. And so he's like, well, we can't do this. That was a stupid law. I shouldn't have done that. You guys lied to me. You told me everybody was down with this. Daniel's not down with this. And I'm more down with Daniel than I am this silly worship me thing. Because at the end of the day, I, nobody really believes in polytheism anyways. Secretly, we all know we're not gods. He probably doesn't say that out loud, but it's kind of implied. Darius the Mede is reminded by these satraps who put on their sad faces, unfortunately, your law is that no laws can be changed once they're written down and signed by the king. Darius goes through all the whole day trying to figure out how can I arrange this so that Daniel isn't thrown in the lion's den because he appreciates and loves Daniel. At the end of the day, he can't. He's sick to his stomach about this. And he goes to Daniel and he knows he has to throw Daniel, literally throw Daniel into the lion's den. So the king gave the order. This is verse 16. And Daniel, and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, hopefully before he was thrown in, didn't yell down because that creates just an awkward situation. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now, if I'm Darius the Mede, and my friend's being thrown in the lion's den, you know what I'm doing all day? Throwing meat in the lion's den, right? I'm fill those things up. Maybe instead of water, we give them wine that day, right? Like, I don't know what happens to a drunk lion. Actually, it's probably not good, but... You know, maybe we can get them sleepy. They must have something, like some kind of sleeping, some medicine that they have, throw it down there, put it in the meat. Uh, this is what I'm doing. There's evidence in the story that that is not the case. Darius the Mede is foolish enough to get tricked. He's also foolish enough that he doesn't fill the lions up. Because uh, that's an easy argument against this story. He throws Daniel in the lion's dead. May the God whom you serve continually rescue you uh, from these lions. A stone is rolled over the, the entrance to this lion's den and they put wax on it and seal it. The king's seal is on there so that it can't be broken. The king spends all night uh, just upset. Uh, actually, as the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. Uh, which in our case would mean like he didn't check his phone all night. And he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. He had them remove the stone and he called down in, in, to Daniel in an anguish in his voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And he gets a response. Daniel actually answers him, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I have been found innocent. Other Bibles use the word blameless in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king loses his mind with joy, like goes nuts, like this is the best news ever. I don't know what's going on with this living God you serve continually, but this is crazy awesome. He orders a rope to put down, and Daniel's lifted out of the lion's den, no wounds on him. They're like checking him out. Daniel's like, 
yeah, that was trippy, you know? Like, I was nervous too, just like you, probably more so since I was in there. <laughs> How about you stop crying? Because I was, <laughs> okay, King, thank you. Get it together. <laughs> and then, in his joy at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. Bet you didn't know that. Happy endings. Oh, wait, it gets better. Along with their wives. Oh, yeah, that was shocked you. And their children. <laughs> You're an innocent kid. Not anymore. <laughs> like, I like this story because I'm reading along and I'm like, oh, Darius the Mede becomes kind and generous and serves God. Hmm. Or he throws random people into the lion's den like a nut. Before they reach the floor of the den of the lions, and here's the deal, this is gruesome, but this is actually an important part of the story to point to the power of God. Before they reached the floor of the lions, they were thrown in, and the lions caught them in the air and devoured them, and so violently they broke their bones, according to the story. This is why we dismiss the kids. That detail actually is the argument against feeding the lions so they were so full they eat, didn't eat Daniel. The lions were actually starving hungry and still didn't touch Daniel. Because you'll be in a bad situation and you think this is kind of bad. And then you get into a worse situation and you're like, oh, this is beyond. Like, this is beyond God's ability to help me. And this is where Daniel was. He wasn't just in a bad situation. He was in a bad situation that was worse than you could have imagined, worse than you could have possibly anticipated. Then Darius wrote to all the nations, so every other country and all the peoples of every language and all the earth. The Medo-Persians are the most powerful now, so now they're sending this out. And there's this letter that he sends out that says, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that, in, excuse me, in every part of my kingdom, which is basically the known world, People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. May, uh, for he is the living God and he endures forever and his kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, uh, the Persian. So Daniel actually goes into a fourth leader, Cyrus, uh, the Persian who takes over for Darius the Mede. He sends this letter out and says, because of what happened, and you can imagine getting this letter, he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And you're like, A, who's Daniel? Uh, B, what? <laughs> I don't, I need some follow-up. And there would be messengers who would tell the story of the satraps and the prime ministers who conspired against Daniel, and Daniel should have died. And they would tell the story in the same way, like in an oral history kind of way that ends up being our written record of the book of Daniel. You're probably, at your work, never going to be thrown into a literal lion's den. But there is a saying in our culture to this day to be thrown into the lion's den. Or you're in the den of lions. Like you're in a bad situation. Especially in a bad situation that you were not in on your own making. You were being faithful and obedient. You were good. And you still ended up in this bad situation. 
So there's two things that I want to talk about. The first is, in this model, and I'm going to talk about the reverse model as well, but I want to talk about this, and it's going to be timely. In this model, Daniel, um, he doesn't fight, or, and he doesn't leverage his rights or his preferences. Daniel doesn't take advantage of back channels. Daniel doesn't say, you can't stop me from doing this. Uh, he just continues to serve his God, and when there's a negative consequence, he takes that negative consequence. Now, I'm going to say this. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament actually was a Roman citizen, all right? And the Apostle Paul, if you don't know the, much of the Bible, wrote most of the books in your New Testament. Anything that lends, ends in like an E-N, uh, like Galatians, uh, Ephesians, uh, they all end in I-A-N, plus uh, some other letters to Timothy and Titus, plus the book of Romans. Most of the New Testament books are written by the Apostle Paul. Very much the most influential Christian in the very, very early church. He got arrested for following Jesus several times, was beaten, uh, was on a prison boat and was like shipwrecked, uh, was bit by a venomous snake, uh, like, and, and survived all of these things. Uh, when it came to his rights, he actually used his Roman citizenship to his advantage so that they couldn't punish him in the way they could punish a non-Roman. So Paul gives us a model of using your rights to leverage for the gospel. Daniel gives us a model of not using your rights to leverage for the gospel. This isn't an argument over what's right and what's wrong, whether you use your rights and privileges and preferences or whether you abdicate them. What the conversation should be about is what's moving the gospel forward. Here's where this comes up uh, this season, and it came up this week. Uh, there are some conservative Christian people that really like the words Merry Christmas. And it is a, if you want to get lots of comments on your Facebook, post about this. Just throw something random out there about it, and you'll find all these people that enjoy the conversation intelligently and wisely on Facebook. <laughs> there are, and, and let me say this, there are people who feel extremely passionate about uh, using the words Merry Christmas about the um, Christmas season. And then there are those who feel very passionately uh, against it or move away from it. Uh, there are school districts that refuse to put up Christmas decorations uh, because they're religious in nature, uh, which is funny because they put up Halloween decorations, you know, celebrating Satan's birth that day, but that's a joke. <laughs> If you were taking notes, be like, I did not know that. <laughs> if you wrote that down, let's go with that it's true and just see where that goes, all right? But it's not, but it could be fun. Uh, but there is this, uh, there is like a uh, perceived war on Christmas. And there are people who are, uh, and I'm not trying to comment on whether there is or isn't. I'm not interested in that conversation. Um, but there is people who feel very passionately about that and are pushing for their rights to be able to use certain words that have a religious connotation, and there are other people who aren't doing that. And it's not a matter of one is following Jesus and the other isn't. Because most of the time, you think your view is the one that's following Jesus, right? Otherwise, you would switch to the other view if you're a follower of Jesus. 
where this gets complicated is that both views can be faithful followers of Jesus. One's using an Apostle Paul uh, kind of model. One is using a Daniel kind of model. Both end up, like Paul ended up uh, arrested for like the rest of his life, uh, and, and Daniel ends up in a lion's den. Both of them can end up with really negative consequences or really positive consequences. But there's not, like there's not a way to say when you follow Jesus, this is how you act in dealing with politics. Which is kind of a complicated thing because it would be a lot easier if the Bible told us how to think and how to act in every situation. But instead, God goes, here's a story, and here's another story, and they seemingly contradict each other. Have fun, kids. <laughs> well, the reason that, like, that would be like our God is crazy, but the reason it's not is because the Bible teaches that God gave us the Holy Spirit who will lead us in wisdom and in strength, and it would be better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have even Jesus still on this earth. Jesus' own words, I am leaving so someone better than me can come, the Holy Spirit. And when you become a follower of Jesus, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit indwells you. And so you can be a faithful, Jesus-loving, Bible-reading, Spirit-filled, through the Spirit in your life, Christian person, and be following one model, and you can be doing that and following another model. And you can actually think the other model is inappropriate in this situation. And what sets the Christians apart isn't that they all agree on a particular thing in a particular way, but that they love each other even though they disagree. Which gets really complicated because we tend to not like that. This is why, <laughs> like, friendships end. Like, people just disappear from each other's lives. This is why the hide button was invented on Facebook. <laughs> because you want to get rid of opposing viewpoints. If you have a viewpoint of American politics, you have a TV channel that will reinforce that, right? All of us. Uh, and if you're like, I don't even care, BBC is yours, right? Like, uh, you watch that and you're like, I just love the accent. Nope, you love avoiding things. But, uh, but you have you have a TV channel that can reinforce what you believe politically. In this, you can also read certain parts of the Bible that reinforce what you believe theologically. I'm going to ignore those parts of the Bible that say this, this, and this. I'm going to go with the parts of the Bible that say this, this, and this. If you want to actually grow as a Christian, get out of kindergarten, the task is to read the parts that challenge you to listen to the viewpoints that disagree with you, to actually grow as a person. And not just so that you can gain an advantage of having better arguments to defeat the arguments that they have in advance. That might be fun, or that might make you, like it puffs you up or something, but it, it isn't actually moving the conversation forward. Do you want to know if I say Merry Christmas or not? I say it in French so nobody knows. <laughs> so, Joyeux Noël. All right. And people go, oh, there's foreigners in town. But, uh, bonsoir. All right. Learn enough French that you can get out of every conversation. That's a free tip, all right? You can write that one down. Learn enough French you can get out of every conversation. Uh, both of those things look like faith, and both of those things... Okay, oh, this is what I want to uh, say this. 
Uh, several years ago, a couple of decades ago, I think they took prayer out of schools, right? Uh, if you're among conservative Christian circles, there's a lot of discussion about this, taking prayer out of schools. Things used to be good, they took prayer out of schools, things are now bad, direct relationship. Uh, what's an interesting thing to me is I don't understand how they took prayer out of schools. They took a public prayer moment out of schools, and I don't know about, I grew up when I was very young, we said the Lord's Prayer, like we recited it at public school. I grew up in a faraway country, but uh, we, we did this thing, but by the time I was an adult, that didn't happen, or by the time I was an older, uh, like high school student, that didn't happen, so I don't, and I didn't notice that it was here or that it was there. Um, and when I was in uh, ninth or 10th grade, I started a Christian club at school. You guys have Christian clubs at school, which totally trips me out, but my Christian club was me and another kid, and my Sunday school teacher came. She was a grandma from our church, and she brought her friend, and we sang hymns and prayed. Like, worst Christian club in history, right? <laughs> but yeah, this is why it's funny. I go to Christian club at one of the local high schools. They wanted me to be a guest speaker, and so I prepare, like, we're going to sing hymns and pray, I guess. I go in, there's like 40 kids, and I'm like... <laughs> And so I dished my talk, and my talk became, what is wrong with you, right? Like, there were two of us. See you at the poll was this week, or last week, right, uh, where you hold hands around a flagpole and pray? This was my see you at the poll, right there, all right? That's how that looked. Me and the flagpole, and my friends walking by, freak, all right? And I'm like, yeah, I think I am a freak. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, right? But... There was an American uh, speaker that came to Canada and said, start Christian clubs at school. So we did. Didn't tell us what to do or how to do it or how to find other Christians. There were, were other Christians in my school, but I don't know how to find them. I'm going to go to every kid and be like, hey, Christian club, my Sunday school teacher is uh, helping us sing hymns, uh, like songs out of a book. What? Yeah, there's a book and we sing songs out of it. I have, anyways, Christian club did not, never took off. Um, we also called it Christian club. <laughs> okay here they're like fire cross and blah 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 right and it's like killer christians awesomeness you know and i'm like oh my gosh that was way over here but my experience is uh what leads me to my conclusions and your experience is what leads you to your conclusions as far as interacting with your faith and politics when they try to stop prayer in schools specifically i don't understand that because i can pray and you don't even know. Like, I will, uh, when I have a friend who's going through something, I'll politely and encouragingly say, hey, can I pray for you? Like, I'm a praying person. I would, if it's all right, I'll pray for you. I'm gonna anyways, right? Like, I'm just trying, the only reason I'm saying that is so that I can encourage them a little bit, but I'm gonna anyways. And sometimes I watch the news and I see things and I go, oh gosh, I'm gonna pray for that. Like, the news shouldn't be a news channel. It should be a prayer channel for Christians. Like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to pray a bit. Oh, okay. And you turn on whatever channel you know. And if you're struggling with that, turn on the channel you disagree with, and you can at least begin praying with there, like, oh, Lord. <laughs> right? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Which counts as prayer. But as followers of Jesus, there is a model which is faithful to the scripture where you fight against the legislation of taking out prayer in school. A completely righteous and godly and biblical model. There is also a model where you continue to pray in school and see what happens. Like what are, what are they going to do if a group of students or a lone student 
praise. And maybe, maybe they stand together and bow their heads and close their eyes. Maybe they don't. There's actually no rule in the Bible that you have to close your eyes. And so maybe you sit in class, and right when the teacher's taking attendance, you pray for the teacher and pray for the kids in your class. You are literally breaking the law. And it is so exciting. Because if they find out, you might get thrown in a lion's den. But how they will, I don't know. But there is this, there is a model that is completely biblical to do one thing, and there is a model that is completely biblical to do the other thing. And both of those things God can use to move his story forward. Here's where I think uh, those two th models come together. And this is kind of my second point. Is that Daniel prepared himself to follow a certain model through, uh, I'm going to use a big like, Bible word, through consec consecration. Um, other people use a word like through holiness. Repeatedly in the story, Daniel says, I am blameless before you. I am innocent before you. I have never done anything wrong in your eyes. Daniel actively set himself apart for God through his actions so that when it came time for him to stand apart for God, they could not undercut him from his past errors and his past mistakes and his, well, from his past sins. I believe Christians can still make mistakes. <laughs> How a Christian interacts with their mistakes is what sets them apart. And I don't think you need to become sinless or perfect. But what it is to be holy, which is a command in Scripture, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be holy. God says, be holy as I am holy, which is like, here's the standard you thought, and then it goes somewhere up there. And God says, here's the standard way up here. And there's kind of a line of thought that says, well, Jesus makes me holy. And there's, there's actually a line of thought that says, when I die, either right before or right after or somewhere in the moment, Jesus' holiness burns away all the little bits of unholiness that I have so that I'm presentable to God. This takes a lot of scriptural manipulation in order to get there. I don't, I don't subscribe to that view. I actually believe, and this might surprise you, that a Christian can get to the place in following Jesus that they no longer willfully sin, that they no longer choose to sin. One of my favorite authors on this topic uh, said this, often this happens on your deathbed. <laughs> Which I'm like, okay, that's such a theological cop-out. <laughs> but, but I believe a sign of a growing Christian is a person who experiences victory over sins that used to own them. I think if you put your faith and trust in Jesus even like today, I don't think it means this afternoon you're never going to sin again. But I do think that's possible. In my experience, that's not the truth for most people. But I believe that the things that trip you up Victory can be gained over those things and you can move into a holy life before God. Now, if you say to me, James, are you perfect? Heck no. And I use the word heck because I'm scared. If I ever said some words that I actually say, you'd learn I'm not perfect. <laughs> there, like, if you think 
like, mm, okay, here's my second best uh, thing I've read about holiness theology. This guy was at a table and he's like, I've achieved Christian perfection. Another guy, like theologian standing around a table, which you can imagine sitting around a table, might be the most boring lunch you've ever had in your life, right? Like you're there with theologian, they're bragging over who's sins less. So this other theologian grabs a pitcher of water, gets up, walks around the table, dumps it on him. And the guy goes, what is wrong with you? Loses his temper. He goes, oh, just checking. Sits down. <laughs> right? Like, why am I never invited to those theology lunches? Right? Like, I'm always at the ones that stay really boring. But Daniel prepares himself, not saying he's perfect, but he's saying, my errors I am blameless for. I am innocent. Meaning, when he served Darius the Mede, he had been serving for several years. He had gotten through the point in his life because he had served Nebuchadnezzar and he had served Belteshazzar and now he's serving Darius the Mede. He's gotten through the point where he's making mistakes or he's acting immaturely and he's now at a point where he's serving Darius the Mede and he has never acted uh, with any kind of manipulation or any kind of conniving. He has only served wholly, like with his whole self, and, like with a W, and in a holy, with no W way, in a pure way, he served Darius the Mede. And there might be mistakes in your past, but the Bible teaches God forgives those. And the, what the Bible actually says is that when you uh, seek forgiveness, you obey and you repent, meaning you literally turn away from those sins. Those sins are uh, thrown away and actually forgotten. And some of us have this tape that keeps bringing them up, right? And your interaction, if you have sought forgiveness for this and you said, Jesus, forgive me for this, uh, you've had that conversation. Jesus promises his forgiveness. It's over. Here's why that's funny now is that keeps coming up in your mind and Jesus knows your thoughts and he keeps going, what is he talking about? Like Jesus is genuinely confused when you keep bringing up your forgiven mistakes or your, sorry, your forgiven sins. Like you're, I'm, I'm going to get to heaven and I've got my things to play in my head and I'm going to get there and be like, listen, Jesus, I really appreciate being here, and I can't, just one more time, I want to apologize for this and this and this. And Jesus is going to look at me with a strange look, and I'm going to go, oh, no, am I not, am I in the wrong place? <laughs> Jesus is going to go, what are you talking about, right? Like, please come in and please stop with the babble about things that no one knows what you're talking about. All right, everyone, here's another crazy one, right? Uh -huh. Some of us in our prayer life, are continuing to seek forgiveness to things that are over and done with as far as God is concerned. And so that thing that keeps playing in your mind, it's a conversation you're having with yourself. And if it's a conversation that God's observing, God is genuinely confused as to what's going on. Which is a strange thing to have a God who's confused. But he's confused because of his empathy and his forgiveness towards you has taken care of that. The Bible actually teaches that we are chosen by God. This is Ephesians chapter 1. We are chosen by God, not just for salvation, but to be holy and to be blameless. God chose us, saved us, and brings us to holiness and blamelessness. In the very end of Revelation, it says that nothing impure enters into the city of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, it, Jesus isn't just dying on the cross and rose again so that you can be saved. But the Christian life is an engagement of a journey that moves towards a holy life, a pure life. And that holiness and purity in your life 
is actually what prepares you to live out Daniel's model and Paul's model, but any model of engagement with the world around you. It is easy to see in our world when someone says something, critics can easily point at the things that undercut that leadership. And they might say something that's good and helpful and wise. But if, you're, if you haven't dealt with those past failings, with those past sins, in a humble and contrite way, and approached God and sought forgiveness, then those things will undercut you. Daniel gives us a model, not just for getting through something that's hard, but for preparing for something that's hard in advance. And if you're in something hard right now, you feel like you're in the lion's den, what's comforting about this story is that God is even in lion's dens. And if you're not, the story is instructive to prepare yourself because the lion's den is coming. It's not instructive as far as this is how you handle problems, this is how you interact. It's just one model. It's not absolute because I can show you other models that interact with culture differently. But in all situations, if you want to interact with culture, and what that means is you want to see Jesus reach people and save people in your world, your purity and your integrity and your blamelessness is the tool that God will use in order to get you there. I often say if you've never put your full faith and trust in Jesus, then today is the day to start. It's simple because Jesus has already paid the price for your sins through his death and resurrection a couple thousand years ago on that cross. And all we do is turn to Jesus, we say a simple prayer, acknowledging our sin, uh, saying, Jesus, I recognize that I am sinful. I recognize I can't do this on my own. I can't pay for my own sin just by doing good things. And I turn my life over to you and I ask you to forgive me on my sin and lead me from here on out. The Bible teaches that that is what salvation is. Well, that is what the turn is from being lost to being saved or being found. And that the Spirit of God fills you at that moment. Like in that moment. And if you've never had that experience or said that prayer, like today is a good day for that. The band's going to come up and worship and we're going to sing together and when they're starting, that is exactly when that should happen. But on the other hand, if you've said that prayer and you've thought, oh, I'm good because I have a ticket and that's all it takes, it's like you've walked into a buffet and decided not to eat any of it. Because Jesus has given provision for you to enjoy holiness in your life. It's not intimidating. It's not like, oh, I'll never be as good as Daniel. Everything that God has is fully available to you. Meaning his holiness, his righteousness, his power, his wisdom, his strength, and his filling is available to every follower of Jesus, no matter where you are, no matter how awesome or not awesome you think you are. You, as a follower of Jesus, are, the Bible teaches, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as partial filling. <laughs> There's no a little bit of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible actually teaches that the Holy Spirit can't hang out with whatever else junk you got. The Holy Spirit comes in and pushes and pushes and pushes all that stuff out. And it's not like you just sit there and let the Holy Spirit work on you. You actively engage with these things. 
And you do that through prayer. You do that through uh, studying your scripture. You do that through worship together. You do that through living out your faith in your everyday life. But if you've never like, had that conversation with God and said, God, I actually believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I want to live a holy life and please purify me. I would encourage you to do that. Make that prayer your prayer this morning. And I'll say this, and this is why you shouldn't, because things are purified through fire. Daniel wasn't purified by staying in Jerusalem. He was purified by being exiled. And so if you're wanting to follow Jesus and you're wanting to live a life of purity and integrity so that your life can be used by God to do things that beyond what you can ask or beyond what you can imagine, what you're asking for is to take steps into where God will do the hard work for you and take you through the hard steps so that you can be used in ways that you've never even dreamed of. If you want an easy life, I would encourage you to avoid Jesus. If you want a great life, I would encourage you to make that prayer your prayer this morning. Let's stand and pray together and then we'll worship God. Our Father, uh, we come before you and we trust you with this prayer because you are our Father and you give us good things and you care for us. And I want to pray with everyone here who's maybe never put their full faith and trust in you that they would make that their call and their claim today. Jesus, fill us free us from our sin, forgive us, and lead us to follow you. If there's people in this room who've never prayed that prayer, now's the time. You don't need to have all the understanding in the world. You don't need to know everything there is to know because it's called faith and we put our faith in Jesus. For those of us in this room, God, who've maybe put our faith in you, but we've never taken those steps in following you. The video stops being funny because we look like an adult grown man in kindergarten. And I pray that you would allow us to experience your Holy Spirit in such a way that we graduate and we move on to greater and greater and greater things. Lead us, Lord, to purity through a refining where our trust in you grows and allow us to experience hardships that but our viewpoint on those hardships changes from hating the hardship to enjoying the work of God that he is doing in us during this hardship God I make that my own prayer this morning and many of us in this room who are in things right now make that our prayer as well or we're about to go through things that are hard maybe we don't even know about. May your spirit lead us and guide us and purify us so we would stand righteous and blameless before you. Hear our praise, God, and enjoy our worship. Amen.